as we begin our service, what an appropriate way to begin our time of worship. Just to take a minute and think about how good God has been to you. How, God, how good God has been to us. And we have so many reasons to praise him and worship him. But it is my honor to, worship, to welcome you here to the service. Uh, and each week we say this, but if you are visiting with us, we would encourage you before you leave to uh, stop by our guest table located in the lobby and please pick up a guest bag. We'd also love for you to fill out a guest card so we can know who you are. And uh, before you rush out, we would love to meet you as well before you leave. Usually our staff's available around here at the front. We would love to meet you and find out uh, how we could uh, serve you and answer any questions that you may have. But as we begin the service, I just want to read um, in relation to that song, Psalm 145. It says, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, and great in mercy the Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works all your works shall praise you O Lord and your saints shall bless you think about this there has never been a time where God has ceased to do good for you to do what is good now I know some of you were probably questioning that last night depending on which side of the ball you fall on that but listen you have never been outside the goodness of God he never ceases to show that to us. And as the scripture says, let his saints bless him and praise him. And let's do that this morning. Let's worship him.
You know, when you talk about the presence of the Lord, isn't it good to be able to come before Him in prayer and to experience the Lord's presence? When we were talking about the goodness of God, I thought about David's Psalm 23.6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Isn't that a promise? Aren't you glad that we can come before Him in prayer? I want to invite you to come this morning and join me in prayer this morning. I want to remember Jimmy Cook and his family. Clyde passed away the other day. The services will be tomorrow. I want you to remember him and his family. Also, I was talking about to uh, Billy Millsap, his uh, sister-in-law, Miss Lackey, passed away. I want you to remember that family. The services will be Monday. I want you to, to pray for them. And I want you to invite you to, you to come, and I want you to pray about needs you may be facing. Also, remember the Ukraine and all they're facing and all the refugees. I want you to come and join me in prayer this morning. You come. presence help us not to rush or hurry Lord help us to hear from you Lord help us to hear what you may say in the time of prayer Lord we need your Holy Spirit to speak to us this morning we need your guidance and presence Father we ask for your forgiveness and grace and mercy and God we want to thank you that your goodness does follow us all the days of our life Lord, we thank you that every morning that we awake that your mercies are renewed. And Father, we praise you for that. Lord, thank you for forgiveness. Lord, thank you that we can call on you and be forgiven of our sin. Lord, we're so blessed this morning to be able to do that. Lord, to know you and to be born again. And Father, I pray this morning for, for Jimmy's family. I just pray that you'd comfort them. You promised in your word that you're a God of all comfort. I pray that you'd be real, and I pray you'd make yourself known to them through these days and the days to come. And Lord, I pray you'd be with the Lackey family as well, a loss of a loved one, a loss of a sister. And Father, I pray that you'd just continue to bless those in need this morning. Lord, those on this altar this morning, they have needs, and they, they're crying out before you, and you know what they are. And I pray you'd answer them according to your will and your purpose in their life. And Lord, I pray for trends. He's serving... In South Asia, I pray for him and his team as they're out sharing the good news of the gospel. Lord, may you protect them and overlook their lives. And Lord, use them for your benefit and for your honor and for your glory and for the Father of your kingdom, that Christ might be heard and seen and experienced. And Father, this morning, we thank you. I pray you bless the rest of this service, and may you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.
If you have your Bibles, turn with me to uh, 2 Peter, 1st chapter. 
We're still in our study of questions and answers, and the question we'll be answering this morning is, did God write a book? And if God wrote a book, it should be very important for us to read that book. And while the choir is going down, I just want to mention a couple things. At the end of the service, we're going to have a, uh, a business meeting where you're going to vote, and we have these ballots. I'll read the motion. Kevin's going to talk to the motion. Uh, just a moment, then you're going to vote, okay? And if you have any questions or anything like that, we'll try to answer them as best we can. Also, I want to mention that if you're uh, interested in church membership, we will have our new members class tonight in the conference room there, so park on this side. Just try to be here by 5 o'clock because typically what we do is we'll, we'll let our staff that can be here to just kind of uh, introduce themselves to you, kind of mention their ministry just a little bit. Then what I'll do is give you a tour of the church. When we come back in, you'll get your food, and then I'll talk about what our church believes uh, the importance of baptism and salvation for church membership, and then basically how you can join if you want to. Uh, so uh, it is a requirement for membership. So if you're interested in church membership, even if you're not necessarily going to join now, we encourage you to take it. We don't pressure people to join or anything like that. Uh, we want it to be a decision that you make, and we respect your, uh, your freedom in doing that. But that'll be tonight at 5 p.m. It'll probably be the last one we have probably until... Uh, uh, the end of summer or the fall. So uh, please come if you can. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn to 2 Peter chapter 1 and stand with me if you will. Wonderful passage of Scripture. This is 2 Peter. Peter is about to die, as you'll notice in these verses, and it's amazing what he writes before he dies. Notice verse 12. For this reason I will, by, will not be negligent. Notice the word remind. He mentions this a couple times. This is a Jewish thought, okay, and I'll explain that in just a moment. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things that you, that you know and are established in the present truth. That was so important to Peter. Yes, I think it's right as long as I am in this tent to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly, notice what he says, this is how close his death is, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus showed me in John 21, verses 18 through 19. Jesus told him this was going to happen. Moreover, I'll be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder again of these things after my decease. Notice how calm Peter is in writing about his death. I'm about to die, but I want to remind you of some things. Then he says this about this book that we're holding in our hands. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables. We don't place our faith in myths, do we? We place our faith in historical fact that is easy, not easily, but is verifiable. Okay? We do not place our faith in myths. We don't have blind faith as Christians. If you place your faith blindly in Jesus, I don't even know if you have saving faith. You have to acknowledge that he historically rose from the dead to be saved. When we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Here's a person who walked with Jesus, and that word majesty is the same word in the Old Testament they used of God. Peter said, I saw him. I saw him. I was with him. John says the same thing. Dr. Luke says the same thing. Say, he says, For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the mountain. That's the Mount of Transfiguration. So what Peter's saying is this. Get the picture. I walked with Jesus. Then I saw him glorified like he is now. And I heard God. Okay, he said, I heard God, and then he says this in verse 19. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed. And what he talks about is this. I had this experience with Jesus, but you have the Bible. That word prophetic doesn't mean a future event's going to happen. It means all of the scripture that we have. 
we have the prophetic word confirmed. Peter was absolutely certain that this book that you hold in your hand is God's word, which you do well to heed. Now notice what the Bible does for us. As a light that shines in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man. Aren't you thankful? The word never came by will of man. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for your word. We want to thank you for this opportunity to gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ and study your word. Father, I pray that by the end of this service that we would read your word, trust your word, and submit to your word, obey your word. And Lord, then and only then can it be a light in the darkness of our lives. And Father, we'll thank you for what you do for us and praise you for who you are. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Did God write a book? Yes, he did. Okay, and if he did, what should I do? Think about this. The Bible is unique in what it says about itself. Over and over again, the Bible says things like this. The law of the Lord is perfect. Your very word is pure. Your law is truth. All your commandments are true. The sum of your word is truth. Every one of your righteous ordinances are forever. This is all throughout the Bible. All of your commands are righteousness. The law is holy, just, and good. Scripture cannot be broken. Every word of God is pure and flawless. It says, man, that's very confident in yourself, right? Not one jot or tittle shall pass from the law until all is fulfilled. The writers of the Old Testament make over 2,000 direct claims to the fact that Scripture is God speaking himself. One scholar put it this way, we gather every week to study a book that is about 2,000 years old. Think about that. Every week we gather. This book is about 2,000 years old when it was canonized and put together. Now think about that. Well, the translations were. Try that with a 2,000-year-old book on psychology or science or human relationships if you can find one. I was studying, uh, I would follow a doctor on Instagram, okay, and he's, he's supposed to be really good, and he said this, over 50% of what he learned in his medical practice is out of date now. See, we don't even believe that stuff anymore. Isn't that amazing? Okay, everything about this is up to date and current, and it's 2,000 years old. Amazing, isn't it? And then he says they, they would be, a, he says, if you try to read a book on human relationships or science or whatever, now it would be a joke. Yet this book is relevant, it's without error and all that it says, and it changes people's lives every day. Soldiers carried into, their battle, into battle in their shirt pockets. Presidents take the oath of office with it, with their hand on it. Gideons cover virtually every hotel room in the country to leave a copy near your bedside when you stay. Prisoners of war recite as much of it as they can. From memory, it is the book that knows me and knows you as well. What a book we have in our possession. Did God write a book? Yes, God wrote a book. And when Peter comes to this part of his life, I think he would give us some, some admonitions to follow. And the first one is this, live like you were dying. Look, notice verses 14 and 15 on the screen. He says, knowing that shortly, I look at the word must, that just tells us that God is sovereign over our deaths. God told Peter in John 21, 18, 19, listen to what he said. Peter was talking about John, and, and Jesus said, if he lives until I come back, what's that to you? It's none of your business, Peter. And then Jesus said this to Peter. He said, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen to you, Peter. I tell you the truth, Jesus says. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went whenever you wanted to go. But when you're old, he says, and Peter's old now, when you're old, you will stretch out your hands. Bad. That means you're going to be crucified, 
was the thought process behind that. Now notice what else he says. And others will dress you, which means you're going to be executed. Peter, uh, Jay, Jesus told Peter this. And take you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus said to him, listen, follow me. That's the invitation Jesus gives. You follow me, Peter, and what's going to happen from, from this point until the end, what's going to happen is this. You're going to die by execution because of your faith in me. And then Jesus says, follow me. And you know what Peter did? Followed him. Years later, Peter knows Jesus somehow told him that you're going to die, knowing that shortly I must put off my, notice how he put it, tent. Peter says, this body, they're going to crucify it. It means nothing. What's inside is all that matters. And I'm going to be at Jesus. But he's saying that God is sovereign over my death. And the reason the Lord knows when Peter will die is because he told him, listen to what one person said, God allowed this to happen to Peter. No matter how tragic the death of a believer seems to us, God has universal perspectives and does all things well. He was saying it's a lifelong calling, Peter, when he said, follow me. He's saying, Peter, there's no retirement. Do this until I call you home. And because Peter knew that he was dying, he wrote a last will and testament. Notice what he says. Moreover, I'll be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. He's writing to Christians scattered throughout Turkey. And if you read 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, you'll know where they were. Peter, Peter writes to them scattered. Then he writes to them again saying, I'm about to die. And he says, I want you to remember. This is a Jewish concept. If you go to Israel today, like in many places, like we have in Washington, D.C., they have a Holocaust museum. School children every year are required to go through it. They see the videos, they see the testimony, they have replicas, I guess, of shoes, maybe they may even have actual shoes, I don't know, rings. Have you been to the Holocaust Museum in D.C.? And then when they leave, if you go to Israel and you go through the Holocaust Museum, they give you a pen or a lapel that says this, never forget. Never forget what happened. A government system deemed Jewish people less than human and killed millions of them. It's amazing to think about that, isn't it? And the world just sat by idly for the most part while it happened. And the Jews say, don't forget that. Well, the Jews always had this thing about remembering. Remember when God uh, caused the Passover to happen? Or, or he told the children of Israel when they were in Egypt, he said, put the blood of a lamb across your door. And if you do that, I'll spare your children. Well, they did that. And then God says, never forget what I did for you. Never forget. So you have all these festivals in Israel, and it's because they are... They had a tendency to forget. As a matter of fact, God told Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 6, he said, I am the Lord, and I am the one, and I am your God. And he says, do not forget. Talk about me when you rise up, when you sit down, when you lie down, when you walk in the way. Teach about me to your children. Bind my law on your forehead, between your eyes, on your arm. Put it on your doorpost of your house. Do not forget. Why? Because they forgot. As a matter of fact, the psalmist said, Israel is a land of forgetfulness. Isaiah said this, indicting Israel, God speaking through Isaiah, he says this, You have forgotten the Lord your God. Next week we will celebrate or worship through the Lord's Supper. Why? Because Jesus said, don't forget what I did for you on the cross. Don't forget. You have, you have bread and you have juice to remind you of my body and my blood. As often as you do it, he says, remember me, because we have a tendency to forget. God condemned Israel because they forgot, they forgot, they forgot. Think about Peter. Why would this be so near and dear to Peter? Because he denied the Lord three times. 
Peter said, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, no, you won't. Not right now. You're going to deny me, deny me three times before the cock crows. You're going to do it. Okay, because we have a tendency to forget. And what Peter's saying is this, we need reminders over and over and over again. That's why when you read the, the book of Colossians and the book of Ephesians, there's a lot of similarities. Why? Because Peter's writing to two different churches in two different locations about many of the same things. Okay, and he says, I can't change it up. There's certain truths in the Bible, and we must know them over and over and over again. The second thing I think Peter would tell us as his last will and testament is this, don't have blind faith. Don't have blind faith. Notice what Peter says. He says, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables. Our faith is built on historical fact. Notice what he says. But you are eyewitnesses. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. One scholar said this. The reason Peter's saying, The reason my word is so weighty is because it's not based on myth, but on an eyewitness account of Christ's majesty. He goes on to say this. That confident... And that confidence in Christ's future coming and power is based not on a myth, but on an eyewitness experience of his majesty in the past. The difference between mythical speculations and Christian faith is history. Are you hearing me? The difference between mythical cults and speculation and our faith is history. This is a historical book. Verifiable. Okay? This is not myth. At all. I'm amazed that when I hear people try to argue against the Bible and they, they act like it's some myth, I'm like, no, we don't, we don't place our faith in myth. We place it in history. Jesus was a, this is a historical book. He says the difference between mythical speculations and Christian faith is history. Our doctrines are not the result of clever headwork. They are the result of historical observation. This is why knowledge plays such a crucial role for Peter. In 2 Peter chapter 1, he says this. Grace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. Knowledge. Verse 3. His divine power has been given to us through knowledge. Make every effort, verse 5, to add to your virtue knowledge. Verse 8. If you have these things, you'll not be unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. A real person. Not miss, Peter says. Full-blooded Christian faith does not flourish in ignorance. Sex. Sext. S-C-C-T-S, all right, flourish in ignorance. If our faith is not grounded in reliable observations of historical reality, it is a cleverly devised myth and unworthy of acceptance. The Bible is historically accurate. What Peter is saying is this, I did not pick this up from the culture. I'm an eyewitness of his majesty. I walked with him. We were eyewitnesses, he says. Over and over again, he says that that word fables up there, comes from the Greek word, which means myth. It's a word used to refer to mythical stories about God's little G's and creation and miraculous events and so forth. Peter says, look, we don't rest our faith in a false god. What he's basically saying to his culture is this. This isn't Zeus. It's not Thor. We're not talking about Peter Pan. We're not talking about Superman or Batman. We're not talking about Marduk like the pagans worshipped or Baal. Save that for the Mormons and the Muslims. They don't have a historical book. We do. We don't follow myths. Paul writing to Titus on the island of Crete, he said, Do not pay attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men who turn you away from the truth. Paul's last will and testament, 2 Timothy 4, he was about to die. He told Timothy, he said this. He said, False teachers will turn you away and turn your ears from the truth 
and will turn aside to myths. It was a problem then as it is now. Myth and millions follow it. They write books about it, have choirs that sing about it. They build churches or mosques to a myth. That doesn't make the myth true at all. What Peter is saying is that when I spoke to you about salvation, heaven, the Lord's second coming, this happened or that will happen. This is not some embellished truth. We are eyewitnesses to this. Think about this for a moment. In Peter's day and today, some false religions and cults, they have these levels. You can't get to point, once you finish this level, you go to this level. Then you go to this level. It's, it's a lot of cults do that. You get to this level, this level, this level. This is the same is true in Peter's day. And they called that when you got to the top level, you've been eyewitnesses of this deity. You can commune now with this deity finally after years of study, memorizing all this stuff, you know, doing these certain things, you've earned your way up to this level. Peter says, no, I, I actually eyewitnessed Jesus and I communed with him. This is true. The level we were on was level at Calvary. This is not some myth. You don't place your faith in a myth. We place our faith in Jesus. We are eyewitnesses, he said, of his majesty. Notice what John says when he left Patmos and wrote 1 John. He's 90 years old. He said this, right to, to the church. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen, eyewitness. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us, and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father and he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you that we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son. We are writing these things to you so that you may fully share our joy. John says, we can't even fellowship if you don't believe in a real historical Jesus. You're not even born again. What fellowship does light have with darkness, he says. What fellowship does Christ have with the devil? It doesn't. John says, I've seen him. I'm writing to you because I've seen him and I touched him and I witnessed him and I walked with him. And he rose from the dead. Then Luke, writing to Theophilus, the doctor. Luke says this in Luke 1. Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They use the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Now notice what Luke says. He wasn't a, Luke was an investigator. He says, having carefully investigated everything from the beginning... That's the way you study your faith. Luke says, I've investigated this out. I have also decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so that you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. And what was that, what he wrote? Luke's gospel. An eyewitness account, he says, I'm writing to you an eyewitness account. I've investigated Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm serving with Paul right now. And Theophilus, this is true. And then, guess what he does? He writes a second book letter to Theophilus. You know what we call that? The book of Acts. And listen to what Luke says. The good doctor. He says, in my first book in Acts 1-1, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and proved to them in many ways he was actually alive and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. What he's telling Theophilus is this. Your faith is an historical fact. He said Jesus rose from the dead and proved himself to them through many infallible proofs. Knowledge, Peter says. We don't place our faith blindly in nothing. I don't. Okay? This, this is a historical book. Your faith is based on a his, reality. 
And think about this. Peter says, I was on the Mount of Transfiguration, and he said this, Moses affirmed Jesus, Elijah affirmed Jesus, and then God himself spoke. God himself spoke, and he says this, you know what's better than that? What's more important than my experience? You have a book. That's more important. He says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Think about this. Eight reasons to believe the Bible is the word of God. Notice this on the screen. The self-authentification of the Bible. The Bible says this about himself. All scripture is inspired by God. Jesus, John, Paul, Jude, Peter all quote the Old Testament as, as the authoritative word of God. Jesus said in Mark's gospel, he said the Psalms are inspired by the Holy Spirit. The law of Moses is to be obeyed. And he said, all scripture will be fulfilled. Think about this, the transformation of lives. This is the only book that can transform a life. Uh, what the writer of Hebrews says is this, this book is living and active and sharper than two any two-edged sword. You can read a book on psychology and feel better about yourself. You can read a book on weight loss and lose weight. Okay, But it will not transf transform your nature. Only the Bible does that. You can't change yourself inside. Only God can do that. Only God can transform your nature. This is the only book that can do that. Think about this. It's circulation. A good book will sell 10,000 copies. A great book, 100,000. The Bible has sold billions of copies. The Bible is the best-selling book in the history of the world. Since the printing press, the Gutenberg pr printing press, the Bible has sold 6 billion copies or more, or parts of the Bible. In the U.S., 86% of the households own or have a Bible. Go to Amazon.com and type in Bible, and you'll find 3,730 Bibles varying in color, size, version, and quality. There is simply no book like it in publishing history. It's the bestseller every year, and it's been translated into over 2,000 languages and is right now accessible to over 90% of the population on the planet. There's never been a book like the Bible. Think about the unity of its message. Despite 40 authors here writing from three continents over nearly 2,000 years, it's amazing how unified it is. And think about the background of the authors. Moses was educated in Egypt. Moses was brilliant. Daniel in Babylon. Joshua was a military commander. Solomon was a king and the wisest man to ever live. Amos was a shepherd. Peter a fisherman. Matthew was a tax collector. Luke a doctor. And if you add all these people together, they wrote on different places of the world, planet hundreds of years apart, and they write about the same thing. And that's why when you have references in your Bible, you're like, when I read that, I'm like, this is amazing. Moses wrote here. Uh, Peter speaks about the same thing here. It's amazing. They all point to Jesus. It was written on Asia, Africa, and Europe in three different languages, Aramaic, Hebrew, and Greek. This is an amazing book. What about archaeology? It constantly proves the Bible over and over again. In Isaiah's Gospel, he mentioned a man by the name of Cyrus. He mentioned his name before he was ever born. Isn't that amazing? Scholars will say, well, Isaiah wrote it later, but he can't. You can't date it that way. And what Isaiah says, what God told Isaiah is he said this, Cyrus is going to be my anointed one. He's a pagan, but I'm going to use him. And you say, how can he do that? Well, look at all the kings in Israel. They were all bad, but about two. That's why God uh, judged them. You had a northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom, the Assyrians attacked and conquered in 700-something B.C. And then the southern kingdom saw that, and God sent prophet after prophet after prophet saying, repent, repent, repent. Jeremiah was one of the last ones. He was a weeping prophet. Why? Because they didn't listen to Jeremiah. And Babylon came down and took, the children of Israel took Daniel and the best of the best to Babylon. And God said, you're going to be here for 70 years. He says, you might as well build houses, have families, 
do the best you can. In Jeremiah 29, he says, because you're going to be here for 70 years. And then I'll raise up somebody, and he'll come and let you go. That's why Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the thoughts I have toward you. They're good. They're not bad. He said, I got a plan for your life. You know what the plan was? Cyrus is coming. The Lord's anointed. And what he's going to do is he's going to let you go. Now, how do we know that's true? We, the Bible tells us, and I'll notice this picture on the screen. This is Cyrus's cylinder. Historical fact. And he writes about how he conquered Babylon just when God said he would. So amazing was this prophecy that, that uh, Jewish priests, years later, whenever Alexander the Great was conquering everywhere, they, he went through Jerusalem. And you know what they did? They ran out, they took the scroll of Daniel, and said, look how accurate. God predicted you would come. And this is what they told him in, in Daniel chapter 11, verse 2. He says, Now then I tell you the truth. Three more kings will arise in Persia, one of them was Cyrus, and then a fourth who will be richer than all the others. When he has gained power by his wealth, he will stir up everyone against the kingdom of Greece. Then a mighty king will arise who will ride with great power and do as he pleases. And that's what happened. Okay? Your, your, your Bible is a historical book. Think about all the manuscript evidence. And then the final thing is this, Bible prophecy. There are 300 prophecies fulfilled in Jesus' birth, life, and death alone. It's amazing, isn't it? What an amazing book. So if that's the truth, this is what Peter would tell us. Read the Bible. Notice this verse on the screen. Peter says this, and so we have the prophetic word. The prophetic word, what that means to is not talking about a future prediction, but the Bible as a whole. The whole Testament is a prophetic word spoken about Jesus. That's why Jesus told the Jews in John's Gospel, He says, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these Scriptures that bear witness of me. And then Jesus goes through the Scriptures and He talks to them about how He's fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies. And what Peter says is this, this body of truth is a more sure word even than our experience on the Mount of Transfiguration. And one scholar put it this way, no prophecy of Scripture, that means the whole of Scripture, comes into being or originates or arises or comes into existence from one's own interpretation. That's what Peter says in verse uh, 16 and 17. That was a true, not of a true prophet, but of what? A false prophet. A false prophet would get up and complain his, or, or proclaim his own version of truth. A false prophet spoke of his own things out of his own mouth, but no prophecy of the writing of God arises from false prophecy, he says. No prophecy of Scripture has originated in the prophet's own understanding. He says this book is inspired, if you will. He says it is inspired in verse chapter or verse 20 and 21. What that means is this. All those men who wrote the Bible, those 40 authors, were moved by the Holy Spirit. It's a present passive participle. It means they were continually carried along, continually borne along. It's the same verb used in Acts 20. Seven twice in verses 15 and 17 of a ship that is blown by the wind just moved along. They wrote as they were moved along under the power of the Holy Spirit. Luke used this in his, chap in first, in his first chapter when he was writing to Theophilus. And he said this, God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets. He said it was their personality. It was their body. It was their mouth. But God spoke through them and gave you this word. The Holy Spirit then is the divine author, the producer of the prophetic word, excuse me, not human thought, not human will. This is not a book written by men. This is a book recorded by men, but authored by God himself. John Piper put it this way. So God superintending human authors so that using their own individual personalities and experiences, 
thought processes and vocabulary they composed and recorded without error his perfect revelation and the original copies of scripture and so we have a lot a night light in a dark place and it's going to be our night light until the morning star rises so I would tell you this read the Bible but more importantly with reading it is trust it because there'll come a time in your life when it's dark okay and the one thing that's going to get you through that is not another person. It's probably not a staff person, but it's the Word of God that's going to get you through it. I don't know how many times I've been with people in this church, and God's Word, the promises of His Word, got them through what they were facing. I don't know if you remember, and Donna may be watching. She's at, at someone's house now. You know, Donna can't walk. And we're going to pray that God gives her her legs back, but He may not. And she knows that. And you know, when she was at Baptist Hospital, she was claiming God's she was witnessing the nurses in her situation. Knowing, imagine this, going into surgery, waking up, and you're paralyzed from the waist down. Hard to, hard to comprehend that, isn't it? And Donna praises God, witnesses the nurses, and I remember her texting me one night saying, hey, this girl got saved. This nurse got saved. We were talking about the Bible, a light shining in a dark place, and she got saved. She's born again now. And Donna got her a Bible. Okay, isn't that amazing? The light, notice Peter says the light will shine in a dark place. Do you trust the Bible? I remember years ago I was at a conference of about 10,000 pastors there. And uh, uh, I've shared this illustration with you before, but it's so powerful. I think I need to do it again before we close. And he worked with the International Justice Missions, I think is what it's called. I could be wrong. But he came out and he started talking about human sex trafficking. He talked about in other countries how bad it was. And it's getting bad here in America as well. And when you went down after the, his session was over, you could go down into the basement of this place, Olympic Village in Atlanta, and they had rooms set up like these girls would be put in. It was awful. Very surreal when you saw his video. Awful. I mean, you're just there going, how can this happen on, on the planet, you know? And he talked about this little girl, Elizabeth. She was going to be a missionary. That was her goal. She was 16 years old. Now, listen, I want to get this right. She was going to be a missionary. She lived in a poor village, and she had to raise money because she wanted to go to school. Now, this is overseas. I think she lived in the Philippines. And they said, come to us with Thailand. Some women came to her, and you can help us and make some money and come back and help out your family and save some money and go to school. She wanted to be a missionary, right? She wanted Bible schooling. So she goes with these women who she put a lot of faith in. She'd met them. They, they, they encouraged her to go. So Elizabeth went, she went to these women across the Thai border into what she thought was a shop to make clothes, but it was actually a brothel. They sold her, they auctioned her, this young girl off, auctioned her off to the highest bidder. Now listen to this. She was sold into the brothel where she was put on an auctioning block to the highest bidder, and she was pimped out five to seven times a day, seven days a week, locked up in a brothel at 16. Then International Justice Missions went in with their missions, and they, they actually rescued Elizabeth. And this picture is of Elizabeth the first time she's in the United States and saw, saw snow. They showed a picture of her room, and above this young girl's bed was a piece of paper. And I can't remember. It looked like it was almost written in crayon. You know what was written above her bed? The Lord is my light. In my salvation, whom shall I fear? Five to seven times a day. 
$250. She, she, she did at one time give her testimony. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Peter said this, but this book is a light that shines in a dark place. Isn't it amazing? 86% of the households in America have a Bible. And the overwhelming majority of us never read it. You know what's amazing? Not just in, the, in, a, in America, but probably even in our own county, churches meet every week and never preach out of it, teach out of it. It just amazes me. You have such an amazing book. If you could do anything for yourself today, I would encourage you to make a commitment to spend time in God's Word. Peter said this, when you add virtue and you add moral excellence in 2 Peter 1, add all these things to your life, add knowledge, add knowledge, add knowledge, add knowledge. How do you add knowledge? This book right here. It's amazing what this book will do for your life. It's amazing. It changed my life. I was not much of a reader. I was a skimmer, right? Cliff Notes guy until Jesus saved me. I have more books on my phone and Bibles on my phone than I've ever owned in my life. Probably 75 different versions of, or not versions, but translations of the Bible I have on my phone. Gideons have an app. You can have a, if you go to Mexico, you can have a, a, a Spanish version on your Bible. I mean, on your phone of the Bible. It's amazing. It is a light, Peter says, that shines, Peter's last words almost. He said, this book right here is a light that shines in darkness. It'll be an anchor for your soul. If you know the author. Have you ever placed your faith and trust in Jesus? I would encourage you to do that today. Don't blindly accept just something. Place your faith in Jesus. I'm going to ask your musicians to come. And I want you to stand with me. Every head bowed and every eye closed. And if you're here today and you're born again, regardless of your age, with your head bowed and your eye closed, why don't you just make a commitment today to spend time in God's Word? If you don't have a Bible, I'll buy you one. I'll get you a Bible. Okay? Make a commitment today to spend time in God's Word. What an amazing book that we have. And if you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, Paul says this, and I say this every week, it's just a reminder. Whosoever calls upon the name of the resurrected Lord will be saved. If we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What an awesome Savior to save us. What an awesome Savior to give us such an awesome book. As I pray at the end of my prayer, this altar is open if you want to come. Our staff is here if you need them. You can pray about anything. If you want to know how to be saved, we're here to help you with that. Fathers, we come to you in prayer. We want to thank you, Lord, for this day, for your word. Father, this is your time and these are your people. And I pray that this invitation will bring honor and glory to your name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As Sharon leads us, you respond this morning.
Sharon, listen, I'm here today, tonight, anytime. I'm pretty easy to reach. If you want to talk about your salvation, please contact me. Uh, I think our staff would say this. There are things in the Bible you don't understand. If we can help you with that, we will. We have uh, ways to get things to you. I love giving people books and different things like that, but I'd rather give you a Bible if I could. The greatest uh, devotion you could ever have is God's Word. Amen. Listen, we're going into a time of business, so if you're a visitor and you'd like to leave, we're going to ask you to go ahead and do that. You may be seated.